Hi, everybody, and welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And we're here today to talk to you about some things, plural, you should have learned in school but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. That's right. We are back to our old format. Woohoo! And sometimes we also talk about just being mildly disappointed with Masked Singer. Yeah, uh... Masked Singer this season was a shit show. It mm. was a shit show. Like, that's why I didn't even live tweet it like I usually do. <laughs> because, like, adding in all of these, you know, supposed wild cards, which didn't even make sense, and kicking... It was very clearly rigged this season. Now, I'm not saying it's not rigged every season. I don't know. But it was just more obvious It was this time. very obvious this time because, like, the way I think they do it is some of the singers... Like, sign a contract saying, I'll stay as long as you want me to. And some of them sign contracts saying, I'm only available through this date. So that's why some of them get kicked off when it makes zero sense for them to get kicked off. Yeah. But it's been long enough. When they unmasked the last one, I we'd known who it was for... Like, since episode since one. episode one, basically. Uh, I think the only one we never really had a good guess at was the chameleon. Yeah, Wiz Khalifa. Wiz Khalifa, who... Okay, when the mask was off, he was good. When the mask was on, he sucked. Yeah. Also, I think, like, whenever I've heard him on, like, the radio... Oh, on the radio or, like, streaming on something. On that talkie box. On that talkie box, what does the music? Um, He's, like... His voice is much more processed, which is just part of the style. So it's hard to recognize him without that. And I'll say, though, he uh, facial tattoos, not my thing. That is a good looking man. Yeah. But I will say that last episode, because Nick Lachey won, he had not been consistent, but he killed that last episode. Oh my God, he did really good that last episode. I mean, he doesn't kill things nearly as much as Olivia Rodrigo does. We have... No. She has not replaced Taylor Swift in our hearts. But that would kind of be our ideal opening act, main act situation. Olivia Rodrigo opening for Taylor Swift. Last time we saw T-Swift, it was uh, Cam- uh, Camila Cabello who was yeah. opening for her. And she killed. Um, like was, I didn't. I think, was it I, Charlie XCX? Yes. X, there she, too? I, yeah. Uh, and we didn't really know who either one of them was. I'd heard one of their songs, I think. And they killed. And then, of course, Taylor Swift, it was the best day of Austin's life. She made eye contact with me. Yeah, we, uh, we've we agreed that had she shown up to our wedding, she inv- we invited her. We never got a response. Austin would have just run off into the sunset with her. It would have been like Romeo and Juliet, exactly as Taylor Swift described it. <laughs> oh, my God. But seriously, this has been a shit week. It's been a really bad week. It's been a bad month, really. Like, we were supposed to go back to our normal format last week. And, like, I, I think I mentioned last week that my free time was spent having panic attacks. And it's just been a really rough few weeks, guys. This week was no different. Um, we've been having crazy rain. And a couple of days ago, Taylor Swift still has not fixed our roof. And we start seeing a leak in our kitchen in our two-story house. And our kitchen is not on the first floor, or is not on the second floor. Now, we did manage to figure out that there is a little bit of roof that is over the kitchen. And we're pretty sure that's where it came from. It's a fair bit of roof over the kitchen. But then uh, we were like, okay, we got that figured out. Called a roofing guy. The roofer was really great. He actually got up there and as part of his, like, let me check your house out. He brought his caulking gun up and, like, fixed any spots that he thought might be causing leaks because I don't know if you all know this, but there's a timber shortage right now. Uh, Something to do with COVID. I don't really understand the connection. Uh, But basically, any home repairs you want to do that involve timber are going to cost way more. And he was very upfront about that. And he said, okay, I fixed these two spots. I think your roof can last until next summer. Next summer, I expect timber prices will go down. I do not want you to spend these thousands. You know, after that, I'm like, whoa, bro, like you are losing money by not insisting we do this now. So we really liked him. 
But we've we discovered along the way how much more shit is weird about our house. Mm -hmm. Like there's stuff covered up that shouldn't be covered up, we found out. And so there's a whole thing there. And then the next day, our dryer broke. Yeah. And I decided we can fix it ourselves. We'll find out <laughs> tomorrow if that's true, because I ordered the parts. Uh, my favorite part was uh, Maddie decided, I'm going to like clean up all of this lint and dust. Uh -huh. And she didn't wear a mask. Like the one thing we have an absolute abundance of and have been wearing constantly, the one time around the house, it would have been smart to wear it. She didn't. And she was hacking up hairballs all day yesterday. I have a severe dust allergy and I'm allergic to cat dander and saliva and urine. So I know having cats seems like a brilliant idea, but no one in history has died of cat allergy. You can, it can complicate other things, but cat allergies themselves, they can, like, they can exacerbate other, that's a whole other topic. Um, but I didn't think about it until I was like, oh shit, I can't breathe. And then I was like, I should have worn a mask. Then I'm like, God damn it. That's like the one thing we have in the house. <laughs> Masks galore, which we are still wearing in public, even though yeah. we are fully vaccinated. Yeah. Because we don't trust that anyone else is. Yes, it is. Austin staring at me. I got a new tablet, which was a whole other shit show. I think I might have talked a little bit about it. If I didn't, did. it's not that interesting. To, well, it is, but it's it's a saga. Um, and I he's looking at me because I can't figure out where the on button is when it's not it doesn't have a keyboard attached. Oh, guys, it has been the worst month, the worst, and it's one of the it, th these are all first world problems, and we are yeah. well aware of that. But you know, doesn't mean it's it doesn't mean it hasn't sucked. So who gets to go first? I will, because I haven't gone in a couple weeks. And I'm excited. I'm excited to get back to our old format. I really preferred it. And so hopefully, except for when we do our deep dives, we'll be able to stick with this one from now on. All right. So today, I'm going to talk about one of my favorite things. And I do legitimately mean one of my favorite things. This is not one of those sarcastic comments. Is it brown paper packages tied up with strings? I hate that movie. I know. hate it. Not as much as I hate the stage version, but I hate it. <laughs> She's talking about The Sound of Music. Uh-huh. I wish those hills had actually come to life and eaten the Von Trapps. <laughs> Ooh, imagine combining the sound of music with the hills have eyes, where the Von Trapps get attacked <laughs> by cannibals. I mean, we don't really know what ha Well, I can't remember how the movie ends, but we don't really know what happens to them at the end of the musical. I mean, we know what happened. To you know the Von Trapps are real people, right? Yeah. Yeah. I do love that Christopher Plummer, who played the dad, was like, Edelweiss is the worst fucking song. Can we please get it rid of it from the movie? And now it's like the most memorable song from the movie. Christopher Plummer, may he rest in peace. I agree with you. I agree with him, too. I would gladly fast forward through that part every single time because it's like three hours long and boring. But Julie Andrews is a treasure. She is. You will never hear me say a bad thing about Julie Andrews. Anyway, speaking of, though, one of my favorite things to do is to go to the movies. Yes. I mean, I do love sitting on my ass and watching Netflix for hours on end. Guys, we just finished se season 14 of Supernatural and we're not going to say anything, but I'm like itching to finish it. And But I already told Austin we could watch a real movie tonight. Yeah. And I'm a little uh, sad that I did that. You, you fool. Giving me control any amount of power was a bad Although decision. Although Austin, you have to give me that you want to keep watching it. Now. Was a, it was a good cliffhanger. Supernatural can do cliffhangers. Especially the season 14 cliffhanger. Yeah. We will not give you any spoilers. We know not everybody is there. Um, so there's just something magical about going into a movie theater to watch a movie, though. Ever since I was a little kid, I've always just loved it. I was that kid who, with the exception of one time, which is going to come up later, I was always really good in a movie theater. But the one thing I did that probably annoyed some people, remember when we were kids, movie theater seats didn't go all the way to the front of the stage of the theater. They had, God, probably at least 15 feet between the, the, the screen because there's often a stage yeah. in front of the screen. 
I was one of the kids who I would go and I would sit like right in front of the screen. Not enough that I was blocking anybody, but I would sit on the floor in front of everybody and just watch from down there because I loved <laughs> movies so much. And today I'm the opposite where I want to sit right back in the very back and watch the movie. My first ever job was at a movie theater, which came with a large set of issues that they did not appreciate me calling them on in terms of labor <laughs> laws. They didn't think a 16 year old would notice. Anyway, uh, but like whether it's like a midnight premiere of a movie, but God, I remember those. You met uh, one of our, you met our wedding officiant at a midnight premiere, didn't you? No, it was, no, I met her at a wedding. Oh yeah. And the, but then the next time you hung out was that midnight premiere. Yeah, where we, I think we like both made the exact same joke within a minute. Yeah. No, then... at the exact same time. Cause we were seeing Batman. Yeah. And there was a preview that had Alexis Bledel in it. And you guys both got really excited about Gilmore Girls. We th- it was, we thought it was, they were making a movie sequel to Gilmore Girls. It wasn't, but it was damn close. Yeah. So this was, uh, okay, let's be, let's be straightforward here. He met her at my first wedding in which he was a groomsman. Yep. And then we were all hanging out and they became like, it turns out they are the same person in many ways. It's And then she became the officiant at our wedding. So hi, Julie. We know that you're listening. Um, I hope we'll find out when you listen, though, because eventually you'll text us and be like, oh, my God, thanks for the shout out. And it'll be like three months from now. We'll be like, what shout out? We don't remember yesterday. um, You know how like uh, podcasts start to kind of cater their podcast to their audience a little bit? We're doing that exactly right now because I'm pretty sure she's most of our audience. Um, I know for sure who three of our regular listeners are, and we are, uh, we we cater to them. <laughs> we absolutely do. <laughs> okay, I'm so sorry, guys. Like I said, it's been a rough week, and my brain is fried, so there might be a little more off-topic than usual, but, you know, if you're here, if you've made it to episode 87... I don't know. We're, we're closing in on 100. Um, You've probably gotten used to it by now. I don't know how much... Okay, gonna be frank here. When I'm not editing, I don't listen, because it <gasps> makes me really nervous. I don't... Uh, Oh my god. Guys, please be honest. Do I have an accent? I don't think you have an accent. Because I do have a... uh, When I was 12, I moved here from Oklahoma, and I had a drawl. And I thought I had um, worked through my issues. And then the roofing guy asked what my accent was. It shook her. And I was like, for the last 20 plus years, people have been lying to me about my southern drawl. Lies. Oh, God, it turned off. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> okay, we can't have tangents because our tablet turns off. Right, and the so anyway, everything. back to movies. Uh, I love going to them. Like, whether it's, you know, that midnight premiere stuff or you like go by yourself to a midday one that you know you're going to hate. But you also know there will be nobody else in the theater and you can just enjoy yourself. There's something magical about the movies. And so I'm going to be talking about the history of going to the movies and what movie theaters are. I'm not talking about the history of film. Uh, I did do a three-part series about the history of Black representation in film probably over a year ago now. It was around the time that uh, Chadwick Boseman died. Yeah. And I covered a lot of the history general of film. I might cover specific things in the future with this, but this is the history of going to the movies and what that has been like over the years. So you probably picked up bits, bits and pieces over your lifetime. Because, you know, some of it, if you've ever watched anything that had a scene in an older movie theater, you pick things up. 
my favorite theaters are have always been the old ones that harken back to the days when people would spend their whole days at, at the movies. Like those rickety ass theater seats that you just feel are going to break underneath you. And there's a real stage still up there and there's a curtain. Those are my favorite theaters. You can get as luxurious as you want. You will not find better ones than that to me. But COVID cl- caused most of those to close. The few remaining ones. So while there was were much simpler movies and some very basic public showings before, the first uh, showings considered public movie viewings were via Theater Optique, which was patented by Emile Renaud in 1888. That's much, much later than, or much earlier than I thought it would mm-hmm. be. We've talked a little bit, you know, I think in the past about how some of the earliest film would happen around that time, but it was like 10 seconds long. This wasn't exact, exactly film. This was a series of pictures painted on gels, like what covers theater lights framed in cardboard that he would like tape together and it could go up to 50 meters long and which is like 150 or so feet and i should have done the math it would be spooled around three different wheels and passed through across what was called a magic lantern which would reflect the image onto a screen and he would turn the wheel and the images would appear to move kind of like a flip book He could manipulate the speed manually to make the images move at the speed he wanted them to, and the films could last over 10 minutes, which doesn't sound like that long until he hand-cranked it the entire time. Wow. And they told entire stories from beginning to end, and the original ones were black and white. Eventually, they were color, well before there was color film. On top of that, he added sound effects. He had it set up so that certain frames would have a little silver tab that when it went past a certain point would set off an electromagnet that would then either um, activate a small drum, a buzzer, or some other noisemaker, depending on which one it was supposed to set off. So there was sound effects that were in time with what was happening on the screen. He did nearly 13,000 shows like this at the Musée Gravon in Paris between 1892 and 1900, making this earlier than the Lumiere Brothers film that is traditionally considered the first movie. Wow. You can actually still see bits and pieces of theater optique films online. And you may think this sounds vaguely like a toy you had as a kid where you'd have like a little circle of mirrors that would create, you, you could make a wheel and it would put uh, lights on the on the walls that had like pictures on them. He also invented that. Oh. Um, that's, you know, it's just lights in different shapes that would go in a circle. He invented that too. And then obviously this, in, these inventions of him, of his were immediately turned into porn. Yep. Because of course, everything eventually becomes porn, I mean, including these, uh, these amazing at the time technologies that were supposed to be like for fun and entertainment. They turned it into porn. Not him. Just people. In ge- people in general. And then there were the Lumiere brothers, who I just mentioned, Louis and Augusta. They made a film called Workers Leaving the Lumiere Factory in Lyon in the middle of all of uh, Renaud's things. It was literally just that. It was the first, it wasn't the first piece of video film that had ever come out. The first one was like three seconds long. Uh, this is super short. Uh, that was called the, su- that was super short. It was called the Round Hay Garden scene. Um, it was, uh, this one was literally a bunch of their workers leaving their factory. It was 46 seconds long and considered a documentary. Huh. Uh, but they made several of them. They were called flicker films and they put them together. So you could actually like, it wasn't a documentary, but it was like a series of, I imagine, honestly, it's kind of like that, how Chuck got his like, you know, super spy powers. It's just a series of images and short videos or like that scene in Willy Wonka with the boat. 
That's what I'm imagining with this. At this point in history, vaudeville was still the big thing. Usually, um, these types of very short flicker films were played at the end of vaudeville performances, and they were called Chasers. In 19, uh, Chasers because the audience was leaving. At 1901, there was a vaudeville strike. So theater owners needed new ways to make money, and they began to find uh, other options like showing short films. Now, if I understood it, this got a little complicated. They would show several short films in a row to make it worth the audience's money. Otherwise, why would you go in to watch something that's 10 seconds long and then leave? Uh, in 1902, Henry Miles from San Francisco began a business renting, uh, renting films to companies so they wouldn't have to buy them anymore, because originally they had to buy all of these movies. And that became too expensive, and now you have all these movies lying around. So he began renting them. He was like, I own this massive set of Flickr films. You can rent them and then send them back to me. And it was cheaper for them and made a lot of money for him. This led to the first uh, movie theater, which was called the Electric Theater. Opened in Los Angeles in 1902. And it was in a tent, like a literal like circus tent. Its first movie was called New York in a Blizzard. It was one hour long, and it cost 10 cents. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now, we'll get into the stuff we more often think about, though, when we think about the history of movie theaters, which are the Nickelodeons, not the one that had Ren and Stimpy. These are what that is named after. The word Nickelodeon combines the Greek word for theater, odeon, and the price of the movie, which was a nickel. In Pittsburgh, the first ever Nickelodeon opened on June 19th, 1905, run by John P. Harris and Harry Davis. Just checking something. Okay. They took a storefront, turned it into a 96-seat theater, set up a screen, and then would just show 15 to 20-minute movies, mostly those Flickr films I mentioned, because Davis had been working at a different theater, and I don't know if he stole them or what, but he had a big collection of these Flickr films yes, somehow. just steal everything. The theater had 96 seats. On their very first day, they had 450 guests and 1,500 the next day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Nickelodeons tended to have both films and live shows, kind of like vaudeville with its chasers, except the films are kind of part of the overall show, or they could have a separate movie day from the vaudeville day, whatever they wanted to do. About two million people had been to Nickelodeons within the first two years. These small theaters remained the norm until 1910, when larger, more modern theaters started opening. Now, some of these more modern theaters were former vaudeville theaters. Some were built for this purpose. The thing was that vaudeville acts often toured, meaning the theaters couldn't make money every day. So they needed something to fill the time between the acts being in town, and that's why they did the movies. Vaudeville then started to die out by the early 1920s, and so these theaters largely became movie theaters, although they also did house actual plays and non-vaudeville live performances, including porn. <laughs> well, I'll talk. Uh, that comes, it, Just assume everything becomes uh, porn at some point. Every human advancement has gone almost directly into pornography. Everyone. Yeah, I mean, there's a whole song about it in Avenue Q. The internet yeah. is for porn. Yeah, it's like... Why do you like, think the net was born? Porn, porn, porn. And like even like VHS like was like like five seconds after VHS tapes became a thing, there was porn. Do you remember going to like it, Blockbuster didn't have these, but like local movie rental places in the curtained off room. Yes. I as a child was like, what is behind this? I must know. I always knew. I didn't. Oh, I did. I don't remember why. I probably asked my parents and they were like, oh, it's uh, naked people. And so kids can't see it. Huh. I probably asked, honestly. Yeah. 
Uh, Of course, during all of this, the movies were silent films, though they were increasing to the length where they are pretty much full length. So it was two hours of absolute silence. Not all theaters had any sound at all. Like they would sit there in absolute silence and watch these movies where people would do these dramatic over... Guys, if you have not seen Singing in the Rain, you need to. They showed this really well, what this all looked like. Austin's a bad person because he's never seen it. But some of them did have live music that would play along with it. Sometimes it was a single pianist. Sometimes it was a whole orchestra. Sometimes the filmmakers sent them music. And sometimes they literally improvised along with the movie. And isn't that fucking cool? Yes. Like you're just like, you've never seen this before. And just improvising with whatever is happening in the scene and like hoping you're getting the tone right. So they would like... The actors would act, and then the, on the screen would flash what they just said. That's how these worked. Despite the popularity of movies, it was still considered a poor person's activity. So the rich couldn't yes, go. We can't be around the poors. So theater owners obviously wanted to tap into wealthier, audi- wealthier audience options. So they began to open movie palaces. If you've ever been to a theater, like a live theater or an old movie theater, and the entire building is basically a work of art with like vaulted ceilings and chandeliers and shit, you have an idea of what I'm talking about. Fancying them up made it so even the more people began to see the movies. This didn't really even raise the prices. It was just, look how pretty it is now. Now, a lot of these buildings are, in fact, still around, even if they're not theaters. The majority of them are not theaters. One is a hard rock cafe now. <laughs> oh, no. One later became a Popeye's chicken slash Burger King. It was a slash with something. This one made me really sad, though. In Brooklyn, the Paramount Theater, in its heyday, sat 4,000 audience members and hosted people like Ella Fitzgerald and Buddy Holly. Now, it's a gymnasium. No. It is a gymnasium for Long Island University. And it is still ornate like this. But they're like, well, we still use the original organ from the theater during the games. Long Island University uh, is named as having one of the best, if not the best, music colleges in the state. And they're using it they're using as a gym. They're using this elaborate theater that was set up for performance as a gymnasium. I bet the music kids are like relegated to some basement somewhere. It's like, it's like oh yeah, you've got this um, this old warehouse that we got most of the rats out of. Enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be grateful. So uh, obviously we can't talk about any kind of history without talking about the concept that always has to be addressed when we're talking especially about America. Racism. <gasps> okay, good. I thought we we're going back to pornography, but it's the other thing. Thing that <laughs> uh yeah let's not let's not equate the two no, no. <laughs> believe it or not it was initially believed that black people wouldn't want to go to the movies in the first place because according to an article by George 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 Gregory A Waller in Cinema Journal black people only liked minstrel shows and couldn't understand this whole moving picture thing they weren't smart enough now, this was him quoting somebody from the time. This, I want to make clear, is not Gregory A. Waller's opinion as far as I know. But that was legitimately a big part of why that everything was segregated. What? They honestly thought black people would be confused by moving pictures on the screen. Oh, wait, wait. Do they also assume they didn't have object permanence? And if you just cover up your face, they wouldn't know you were gone? Or... I don't know. What is wrong with people? But they, were, but they honestly said, like, and part of it was, well... Black people only like noisy things and these are silent, so they can't sit through it. Shockingly, uh, that wasn't the case then or now. Of course Uh, not. No matter what your background is, you understand what is happening during a movie. I mean, unless you're a little kid, I guess. Even like as a little kid, it's like, oh, it's a movie. It's not real. Or at least at the very least, this isn't happening right now. Unless you were me and had a very hard time distinguishing reality and fiction. Uh, Additionally... 
Uh, a lot of theaters didn't let black people in because they thought it wasn't so much because of that. But they thought white people would stop coming, which unfortunately they were able to study. Oh, no. Because this was actually really shocking to me. Some places it turned because you know how we had, you know, segregation laws. There were some cities that had anti-segregation laws. You were not legally allowed to segregate. And these laws were put in place in the 1800s. And they weren't uh, in D.C., this is where I found this information from, in Washington, D.C., they weren't really rediscovered until somebody said something in 1953, which was the heart of Jim Crow. Crow. They're like, "Um, our laws actually say you can't do this. And the Supreme Court said, oh, yeah, no, they do say that. Yeah, you can't segregate movie theaters. You can't segregate restaurants. You can't segregate any public location. Unfortunately, when they desegregated, it was proven that white people were super racist. Oh, no. I mean, we already knew that. Yeah. But now we had financial proof of it in that way. Anyway, uh, back to the 1920s. Some theater owners began to realize that there actually might be an untapped market with black people. And so white people began to go into black areas of town and open movie theaters. And I mean, they made money, but they're also like, wait a second, black people are also in other areas of town. So let's just create their own section in the movie theaters. So that's what they did. In general, black people went up a back set of stairs outside the building and straight to the balcony. And they paid the same price as anybody who went in the front doors. This harkened back to the vaudeville days when black audiences were relegated to these same seats because they were supposedly the loudest and the rowdiest. The thing is, black people weren't the only ones who sat up there. It was all it was the cheaper seats. So black people were forced to sit up there. But you also sat up there if you couldn't afford the seats below. Um, and that's where we get the phrase the peanut gallery from, because peanuts were the cheapest snack that were sold at vaudeville theaters. And this part of the theater was known for being the hecklers, and they would throw peanut shells at the stage. And so that's where we get the phrase enough from the peanut gallery, quiet from the peanut gallery. Uh, but this has raised a lot of debate recently about whether or not the peanut gallery is a racist term or a classist term. Ooh, that's tough. And that also, like, what about the comic strip Peanuts? Oh, let's leave Charles Schultz out of yeah. this. As let's... far as I know about Charles Schultz, he was a good dude. Yeah. Um. Actually, I don't know where he got the name of that from, but I don't I think it was. Associated I think with it was associated. With, I think it was associated with Peanut Gallery, but I think it for him it came back to the people who weren't taken seriously. Yeah. I'll have to look at that up. Look that up because I I do love those those uh, comics. So yeah, the question has become: if, Is it racist? Is it classist? Or is it both? Porque why not both? Yeah, porque no los dos. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of both that's happening there. Obviously, I'm not the one who gets to make that decision. Yeah, uh, but yeah. Speaking of food and theaters, you'll notice I haven't mentioned any movie theater snacks yet. That's because movie theaters didn't want to allow them in. What? Yeah, back then movie theaters made their money off of the movies. Crazy. I know. They were trying to be classy. Excuse me. They're trying to be, I say classy and then I immediately burp. (laughs) They're trying to be classy. They had carpeting like they do now. They had these palaces. They didn't want to have to go clean up popcorn. They also were like, these movies are silent and eating is loud. So we don't want any of this. Then it was 1927. And I know this is about movie theaters and not movies, but this is relevant. The first ever talkie, as they called them, came out. That was The Jazz Singer, which it deserves its own episode. I'm pretty sure it came up in that three-part series I did. It did. Um, but it's, it's a super important movie, not just because it's the first, uh, first sound, first f- film with synchronous dialogue. 
but it's important for a lot of reasons. But it also made them realize, huh, well, now maybe people can eat in the theater because there's sound all the time. So it's not going to be as distracting when people eat. The reason that talkies were important to the history of movie theaters is twofold, though. There's the food, which I'll get back into in a second, and accessibility. In 1920, 6% of the overall U.S. population could not read or write in any language. In 1930, this was the case for 4.3% of the overall population. So it's reasonable to assume in 1927, it was somewhere in the middle of that. That sounds like a relatively low percentage, but when you think about the overall population you could be getting money from, it's not a small amount. And this is a sidebar, but I started reading this and it I didn't know what to do with it. I think it might have come a little bit up a little bit on my How We Teach Reading episode, but uh Today, according to KSAT, which I believe is a news station out of San Antonio, and Forbes, 20% of people in the U.S. cannot read at all. Um, and including that 20%, 54% of U.S. adults read below a sixth grade level. Not surprised by this fact. Um now, what I couldn't tell, and I looked through several sources, is if they're including second language learners in that, because that is a different thing, um, because the 1920s statistics were including any language, and I could not determine if this one was including any language or just English, because I would honestly guess they're including any language, because obviously you're illiterate if you can't read or write in English, never mind the fact that you have a PhD from your original country. Yeah. Anyway, back to the topic. Movies began to have dialogue uh, via sound, which was good, because now they were open to people who couldn't read and previously had to read the dialogue. So they started letting in some snacks. Some of them did, but most were still hesitant. Then the Great Depression happened. Movies were one of the few inexpensive ways you could be entertained uh, because they still cost very little. But theaters themselves couldn't sell popcorn. Popcorn was the most popular snack at the time because a $10 bag of popcorn kernels could last you 10 years. If I remember, if I read that statistic That's right. insane. And they sold the bags for five to 10 cents a piece. Now, guys, I worked in movie theater. These bags of popcorn, we're not talking like tiny bags like we put in your microwave. We're talking like they weigh a lot. These were not small. Like like 50 pound bags of popcorn yeah. kernels. I believe it said 10. It might have said a year. I didn't write it down because I'm a dumb dumb. But the theaters couldn't sell them because they didn't have proper ventilation. On the street, vendors would stand outside the movies, um, but not on the movie theater ground. So they couldn't get in trouble and sell their bags of popcorn for five to 10 cents. And then people would go into the movie theater with their bags of popcorn. Uh Movie theaters were like, wait, no, we don't want this. You're you're making our theaters messy and we're not getting any benefit. We're just having to clean up after you. So they began to have a popcorn check along with your coat check when you entered the door. You were expected to check your popcorn. <laughs> so this became popcorn, what became the first ever snack people sneaked into the movies like we do with candy and shit today. Uh, uh, one time uh, I snuck uh, a Chipotle burrito bowl into the movie with me. I worked at a movie theater and somebody openly carried an entire tray of cupcakes. And in exchange for us letting them go to their, see their movie with their cupcakes, they had to give each one of us a cupcake. I'll allow it. That's brilliant. And another time a friend of mine carried an a whole ass cake into the movie with her and she just put it under her hoodie and said that and like did it in such a way where she could be like, if people ask, I'm pregnant. <laughs> we, we just sat there and ate cake. Um, so movie theater owners knew people were sneaking in food, so they decided to cash in by allowing the street vendors to sell in the lobby, but it's not exactly inside. It's like half inside, half outside, so they could catch people as they entered the movie and people as they walked down the street. So they were like getting all of these sales because people who didn't want to check their popcorn could now buy popcorn. People who were just walking by and want popcorn could get popcorn, and they would just have to pay a fee to the movie theater. This is like a win-win for everybody because the movie theater got paid. These guys got extra money. People got their popcorn. But obviously, in the long run, movie theaters 
were like, we'll make more money if we do this ourselves. So they started putting in the ventilation, making their own popcorn. And now you can get popcorn at every movie theater. You can get pretzels. You can get hot dogs. Do not get the hot dogs. Oh, man. You know what I have not had in a long ass time? A hot dog. My family is going to be eating hot dogs in two hours. But I like I told my mom, like, this week has just been too much. We yeah. can't leave the house. Um, don't get the movie theater hot dogs. Just maybe things have gotten better since I worked there 20 years ago, but, uh... I doubt it. Things never get better. I went to my boss, and I said, the hot dogs are green on this side. And he said, put them bun, put that side down on the, on the downside of the bun. I accidentally dropped those hot dogs and had to put them on the loss report. <laughs> it's such a sad day losing those, like, those two or three hot oh yeah the hot dogs are from days earlier by the way it's like but those those hot dogs have been there since the theater was founded pretty much our theater was also haunted it's a sporting goods store now it is so they um so they started making more money because they brought in concession stands in the 1930s uh they also brought movie theaters that were more like what we see today they got rid of they didn't get rid of but they built new theaters that didn't have balcony seating so they had like raked seating like what we see today and the movie theater seats could be flipped up believe it or not up until the 1930s theater seats were just chairs basically they were chairs that were like attached but they were chairs the reason they did this was so that when somebody had to go to the bathroom you could stand up and move slightly back to get out of their way smart that is that is why we have those chairs today also side note guys if you are sitting on one of those chairs do not do the thing where it's sitting like it's up against the side and then you sit on the edge then you bounce down that will break and you will slice your leg or arm open not that i've ever seen somebody do that (laughs) i did not do it it wasn't me now, this is important because back then you could spend a whole day at the movies like your nickel let you go into the theater and you could stay there from 10 a.m. to 11 p.m., which was a lot of the operating hours if you wanted to. You didn't have to go anywhere, which was super important during the Depression because, A, where else are you going to go? B, lots of people were homeless. And C, it's the only way to get entertainment. Also free babysitting. But yeah, yeah, the whole day you spent at the movies. You didn't have to go in or out at any certain time. You didn't have to pay per film. They spent the whole day there. So obviously at some point you're going to have to pee. Now we're getting out of the Depression, at least the Great Depression. I'm not talking about, you know, daily life. And World War II hit. Initially, this actually made movies start to lose money because everything went to shit. But the 1943 to 1946 movies began to hit record highs. The advances in technology and new colored pictures drew in new audiences. Uh, They began to go to movies for the first time ever. Like Previously, it was just a fun day of entertainment. Now it's, I need to escape the real world because everyone I know is dying. But they would go there to escape, and the Office of War Information from the federal government put in propaganda films. Between each movie, you got to watch propaganda films saying how great this war was and how we're definitely winning all the time. And you need to buy some war bonds. Yes. So, you know, come for the, come for the you know, freedom from your normal life, stay for the brainwashing. But the 1940s also brought us something else very important. B-movies. <gasps> Austin's and my favorite kind of yes. movies. In fact, calling what we like B-movies is being generous. Oh no, these are like, I don't even think they get a letter grade. They are just like see me after class movies. You know, like these are the cheesy horror movies where they like still make posters kind of making fun of them today. That was these movies and that was what the 1940s brought specifically I think to Austin and me. 
Uh, and they also had serials, which we don't have today. Ser- uh, we've got movies with sequels, but serials would come out every few weeks, kind of like you know, we you know used to have normal TV and you have to wait a week for your next show, next episode. They would do shorter films, but they were still like longer than TV shows because TV is kind of starting at this point. And you would have to wait until like the next week to see the, to get the next installment of your show. See and if the Lone people- Ranger made it out yeah, this time. Pretty much. You keep you keep coming back. You keep coming back. You keep coming back. The 1940s also brought the first ever surround sound. Uh, before previously to that, you'd have maybe three locations for speakers. Surround sound is where speakers are kind of all around you. It was for the movie Fantasia, which is the only movie I ever misbehaved in and had to get dragged out of by my mother. <laughs> and thank God I deserved it. Um, however, surround sound didn't really take off until the 50s and 60s. Uh, 1950s, drive-in movie theaters. Yes. They had actually been around since the 1930s. Uh, at which point they were invented by like a car mechanic. Uh, I didn't get too far into that because they didn't really become a thing until the 1950s when everybody had cars now. And this was a different experience for them because now you could go to the movies and you could bring your babies. You could smoke. Although if you look at pictures from this time, people were absolutely smoking in movie theaters, probably until the 80s is my guess. Yeah. Um, I remember being a kid and being on planes, people were smoking. Yeah. It's, it's so weird. Just like, like how just not that long ago, like people were just smoking everywhere. Oh yeah. In high and, school, like, like our, no one cared. Yeah. In high school, I mean, our restaurants had smoking sections, but yeah. And all the theater kids would always sit in the smoking section because, you know, theater kids with their dramatic cigarettes <laughs> don't smoke guys. It's and bad to be, to be, I'm actually being honest. I was not one of the smokers. I will fully admit that I had a, that I have smoked on and off throughout my life. Do not start. It is so hard to quit. But in high school, I was not one of them. Okay, so drive-in movie theaters, it was like family entertainment. And some of them, would, they would play the sp- over the speakers. Some of them, you'd have little speakers that hang over your car. You could bring your babies to them. So you like didn't have to worry about leaving. If you had a crying baby, you would just lock them inside the car like any responsible parent. <laughs> Just um, give them a cigarette. <laughs> I mean, give them a cigarette, rub some rum on their teeth. They'll be fine. So it was a thing, though. And drive-in movie theaters have recently seen a resurgence thanks to COVID. And Austin and I have actually been planning on trying to go see one. But then we looked at all the restrictions that come with it. Not the COVID restrictions. We're fine with that. But you've got to get there like hours early and you may not, you still may not get in. And that makes me very anxious, which, you know, it's the same thing. Yeah, You can't buy your tickets ahead of time is what it boils Mm -hmm. down to. Which is like, we'll even buy our tickets ahead of time. We're going to see a movie that we know for a fact no one is going to go see. Yeah. We like to be able to select our seats. Yeah. Of course, now, I don't even know if you can, I guess you can probably buy theater tickets when you get to the door. It's just going to be harder because the theaters have, are blocking off the seats on either side. We were going to go see A Quiet Place 2 this weekend. Guys, if it gives you any idea how bad of a week we've had, we opted to not go to a movie this weekend yeah. and you know like you can tell how much we love that maybe later this week maybe later. maybe to replace our wednesday watching of masked singer wednesday night go see a movie maybe and if you wanted to watch a b movie you went to the drive-in a movies needed to make more money and movie theaters play movies all day so a movies went to the went immediately to the indoor theaters b movies were so low budget and not expected to make money anyway that they went straight to the drive-ins which could only play at night but you know what really made drive-ins stick around as long as they did? Making out teenagers? Well, that too. I actually am not getting into any of that. Although, um, not when I was on, on shift, but we did, my coworkers definitely did catch people having sex in our movie theater. <laughs> Which, uh, guys, this is an old one. It didn't have the big comfy seats that you could, you could not even flip up the armrests. I don't want to know how they were doing it. But no, porn. Mm. They were showing porn on the massive outdoor drive-in <laughs> movie theater screens. What? Porn 
saved the drive-in movie theater industry for decades. Wow. So you could go drive your car into a theater, watch some porn, do stuff that's not okay to do while you're driving, and then go home. Oh, God. Okay, did not expect that... I should have. I should have expected. Always assume porn is involved with you know, this. I was assuming this would be the one time porn wouldn't show up, but I was wrong. I was wrong. Oh God! I just I just realized that movies are all in surround sound now. Oh. Oh, that makes porn even scarier. Like not scarier, but uh, grosser. Yeah, especially like. Oh. oh, oh. Um, all right. So 3D movies became popular in the 1950s. They had been around actually since like the 30s, um, I believe, but they really hit their stride in the 1950s and then they disappeared and good riddance until recently when we decided to ruin things again. I, I hate 3D movies. Um, Austin, though, you I think you can understand this because you have glasses, too. Yeah. And those 3D glasses do not fit over normal human glasses. They even, do not. They, even though they make glass 3D ones to go over glasses. Unless you've got, like, tiny glasses, which if you, you can't see mine, I'm, like, pointing them. They're big and sparkly, and they are they are real. These 3D ones don't go from and they give me headaches. And why? Why did they do that to Half-Blood Prince? It didn't even make sense. I forgot that was even in 3D. It was it was only, like, seconds, too. Like, a few seconds, a few different times, and I had to pay double? What the fuck? Yeah. Anyway, the first multiplex appeared in 1957. I use that term loosely because it had two theaters. In the 1960s, multiplexes really began to take off um, because they could show several movies at once and increase their profits. Now, you may be wondering, of course, how could they possibly increase their profits if it was a nickel to go all day? Well, in 1960, a little movie called Psycho came out. If you have not seen Psycho, I'm about to ruin it for you. And I don't care because it came out in 1960. Where have you been? Alfred Hitchcock, who wrote and directed this movie, and there is a great podcast called, I think it's called Making of Psycho. There is all, or, or behind Psycho. There's also one for The Exorcist. It's a great series of podcasts. He insisted that any theater that was showing Psycho would not allow anyone in after the movie began. It had to have a set start time. Movie theaters pushed back and were like, no, people are used to this other method. They're not going to do this. They could not have been more wrong because people are like, wow, well, if we if we have to go in at a certain time, then it must be something really special. So they've been advertising this movie as a horror movie starring Janet Lee, who was a big star at the time. Janet Lee is the one who gets killed in the shower in the first five minutes. The whole thing. Yeah. That's Janet Lee. And so the lead actor in the movie, this beautiful, popular actress, dead in the first five minutes. Nobody saw that coming. It had not happened before. And he was also afraid that people would come in partway through, see the ending of the movie, and then spoil it for the people who would come in the next time. He had this, and I think there's even like an announcement like at the beginning that was like, when you leave, please do not spoil this for other people. I've actually been to movies where they did that, even not previews. Like, yeah. even like regular movies, like, look, this has twist endings. Please don't ruin this for others. People are actually usually pretty good about it, which is mm-hmm. surprising. Much better than like, you know, Entertainment Weekly is. Fuck you, Entertainment Weekly. They will never forgive you for what you did with Game of Thrones. Anyway, so because of Alfred Hitchcock, we actually now have these set start and end times for films. And you have to pay individually for each film, which is how theaters realized that they could increase their profits by having multiplexes 
so that you would pay for each film individually instead of spending the whole day at the movies. They will still to this day kick you out of the movie theater if they catch you sneaking into a movie. And guys, it's not because they're dicks. It's because they're they, the employees, the hourly workers, they can get fired if they just let you do it. In fact, um, some of my brother's friends did it when I was working at the movie theater. And I kind of walked down there because I'd seen them come in and I saw them go. I, I worked concessions. And I saw my brother kind of standing in the hallway. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, my friend sneaked into the movie and I didn't want you to get in trouble. So I'm not sneaking in with them. So I had to go in there and be like, guys, I'm going to get in trouble. You have to go see the movie you bought tickets for. And they did. <laughs> you know, they weren't assholes or anything. They just wanted to see this other movie, which, yeah. which was probably a better movie. The first real multiplex, 19th, I talked about that. Um, so as a result, most single screen theaters went under. We had one here until actually fairly recently, like the last yeah, 15 like, years. Yeah, it was like, uh, yeah, another one you're talking about. It is a gym now. Oh, like God damn it. 24 hour planet fitness, something like that. It is a gym. Gross. And it, the outside still has the marquee and it is beautiful. But if you're ever in Minneapolis, check out the Riverview Theater. And no, they are not paying me to say this. They probably are like, please don't have us on your podcast. They they are from the 1950s. They are a single screen theater. Their seats are horribly uncomfortable because they are the original seats. And it is amazing. You want these horribly uncomfortable seats. You want this 1950s decor. You want all of this. The tickets are five to seven dollars. The popcorn was like three dollars. Uh, and they show one movie because it's a one screen theater and they show a current blockbuster. I saw the movie Hearts Be Loud there. And right now, as I'm talking, they are playing Quiet Place 2. It is the coolest experience you will ever have. So if you are in the Minneapolis area, go to the Riverview Theater. You will not regret it. It was so much like Minneapolis is cool. Austin's been there sometimes. I've been there once for this little conference that I went to. And I tried to see as much of the city as I could. But this came on my radar somehow. And I'm like, I have to go. And it was the highlight. This was the the highlight of my trip to Minneapolis, which has so many cool things, was this tiny 1950s movie theater in the middle of like a neighborhood. Go, go. It is so cool. All right. Anyway, so if you know the movie, uh, movie or musical Hairspray, you know, one of the jokes they make about Tracy's weight is this. The show isn't broadcast in CinemaScope. <laughs> CinemaScope had a really wide aspect to it. It was about double the width of previous films and was used from 1953 to 1967 on a curved screen. So you could see a lot of width, hence them making fun of Tracy's weight in that manner. But people were like, this really sucks. And so they replaced it with Panavision. And I still to this day don't understand why IMAX exists if this sucks so much. And then we have one of my favorite movie history tidbits of all time. I don't care what anybody says. I think it's brilliant. Smell-O-Vision. It was real. What? This is a real thing. No. Mm-hmm. Why? Also called Aromascope. It happened for... Aromascope is so much better than Smell-O-Vision. I think Smell-O-Vision was ultimately to make fun of it. Yeah. It was used exactly one time. Well, not one time, but one movie. The 1960 mystery movie, Scent of Mystery. <laughs> um, it had timers that were... Sp- it had things that were timed to go off to emit odors into the theater at specific points during the movie. The problem was, A, it made a hissing noise every time. And if you've ever been to a 4D movie, you've, you've experienced the hissing. B, it wasn't like it was coming from every seat. So the smell would hit different people at different times. And then, like, other people, it just kind of made people a little nauseous, depending. I don't care. I think it was brilliant. Fuck you. And I say it was the only movie to do this. I mean, it was the only movie to do it like this. Because as far as I could tell, there were a few other movies that did similar things with, like, bingo card situations. The most recent one of which was Spy Kids 4. What? You went into Spy Kids 4. You would have a little, like, um, 
lottery ticket and a number would flash on the screen and you would scratch the number that went with it and you would smell it. So you could smell what was happening on the screen. And apparently it was terrible and either they didn't smell or they didn't smell like what they were supposed to or it was just really bad. And I'm really sad that we didn't know about this because if we had, we would have not. We would have gone to see Spy Kids four. You know, um, I never saw Spy Kids one through three. Do you think I'd be able to follow Spy Kids four? I've only seen Spy Kids in Spanish, and all I remember are giant hands walking around, and I didn't understand the movie. So I think um, all I know about Spy Kids is that uh, canonically, Danny Trejo shows up as his character Machete in one of the Spy Kids movies. Uh, I know Taylor Lautner is in them. No, he is. Wasn't he Shark Boy? Oh, maybe. Shark Boy and Lava Girl, which is not Spy Kids, but was a spinoff of Spy Kids. I might know more about Spy Kids than I'm letting on. He actually has seen all the movies. And he has a collection all... of these cards in the basement. That's um, that's what's actually in the hidden room. It's my Spy Kids collection, along alongside my uh backroom version of myself that somehow managed to escape. Yeah. All right. Speaking of them getting rid of Cinemascope, IMAX also showed up in the 1960s. It's an abbreviation for Image Maximum, by the way. Not a whole lot to say here. It really hasn't changed. There is an unnecessarily large screen that you really can't see all of at the same time and your neck is stretched back the whole time yeah imax movies suck and you will not convince me differently yeah it's just it's just a larger screen it's like and you know they use it for like documentaries and like space and shit which you know i can see the purpose but you can get the i, I get some effect when i see it on a regular screen mm-hmm. now if like if i'm in a place where it's like they're pointing out like this is a different constellation yeah i can see it then but overall just show me a fucking movie then we go to the 1970s two big things yeah, that were our leap forwards in the 70s in terms of going to the movies, not in terms of um, movie making technology, movie, movie making technology or the, you know, exploitation films or anything like that. Dollar theaters showed up. Remember dollar theaters? Yeah. And dedicated porn movie theaters. Movie <laughs> theaters that showed nothing but porn. Gosh. Brought to you by the 1970s. Porn was illegal at the time. And yet <laughs> somehow these porn only movie theaters were open. It was, it, this is not pornography, it's art. And some of the porn was live. And I don't mean like being shot live, like, you know, Saturday Night Live. I mean, it was on the stage. Huh. Everything comes back to porn. Always. So yeah, but this was a major step in your movie going experience. If you were an adult creepster, you could go sit in a room with other adults. That's what gets me. I'm like, okay, if you're going to watch porn, that's one thing. You're sitting in a public space with other people who you don't know who are also watching porn, and then you get Paul Rubens arrested for it? Come on. Yeah. Not a whole lot changed between the 70s and the 90s, except there were fewer porn theaters as time went on. Um, as things went on, you know, there were general upgrades. Technology got better, so they implemented that. Seats got more comfortable, they implemented that. Cup holders became a thing. Like, little things that are just... There were no massive leaps anymore. It was steps by step as our as so our technology sound got, got better. a little bit better. The seats were more comfortable. That's right. Cup holders are more recent than we'd like to think too. Yes, uh, that theater in Minneapolis I mentioned doesn't have cup holders. I had to put, or if, it, if they did, it didn't fit my drink. They might have been really small. I can't remember. Either way, I just know my popcorn and my drink were on the floor, and the popcorn was good. Guys, please go. Like support small businesses, especially small businesses that were unquestionably like destroyed by COVID, like this. You know, so like, what a cool way to support the film industry without yeah. like feeding into like a giant machine as yeah. much. The only thing I remember that I didn't really find much on was 4D, which became a thing in like the 90s, um, which still exists. They don't do the smell things much. I feel like I've seen it a couple of times, but they like, well, sh- if something 
happens on the screen. They can like lean your seat or shake your seat. They will spray you with water. They'll spray you with air. The one that I remember most is I saw a um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids one when I went to Disney World. And at one point, mice mice run across your feet. Ah. And they do it with like this very specific little set of puffs of air. And it was very cool. Um, And if you a lot, the Disney has a lot of these. If you go to Disney World, you'll find some of these. And the last time I went to one of these, it had Lego. It was at Legoland. And you wear 3D glasses, hence the 4D. You got the 3D glasses and the other things that are going on. It's really cool. It's not my thing. Um, I don't like getting damp. So, like, let me know ahead of time if you're going to be, you know, spraying us with water. That's all I ask. Now, today, we are back to luxury days in a lot of ways. Our theaters have become opulent yet again. This means they're pretty. They don't have the big chandeliers, but the seats are, like, massive. And you can, they're like lazy boys. And you can press buttons and they do things and... Uh, some really nice theaters have like love seats and they give you free blankets to wear, which now, you know, COVID, you wouldn't want to. We had this amazing one here that was like you'd be either 18 or 21 to go in. They would bring food to you. You could sit on the love seat together and watch a movie. They have since turned it into a playground. And I don't mean the building. I mean, they got rid of the adults theater. And I don't mean like porn theater. I mean, you can't bring a kid into this theater. It is a movie going experience free of children. There's literally a playground in there now, and the, and there is no theater strictly for adult audiences anymore. It sucks. Which sounds like I'm bitching, but we've had so many mo- horror R-rated movies ruined by children who should not have been there. Yeah. And in the Heights, which we saw that preview of. Just screaming children. All the time. Princess Bride, when they did that, like, review that... Bored kid just complaining about Princess the Bride. The whole time. And they, they keep sitting in the middle and, like... My mom, my mom's thing, part of why she was able to drag me out of Fantasia, was sitting me in the corner. We sat on the edge in case one of us misbehaved and we would leave. Come on. Come on. Yes, I know you can't know if your kid's ready for movies until you take them. Yeah. And you can take them out. You brought them into this world. You can take them out of it. (laughs) Uh, Nowadays, though, movie theaters are really struggling. You can stream just about anything soon after it comes out. People are working longer hours. Many people can't afford go- to go to movies. And then, of course, there's the pandemic. They're starting to get creative. Like right now, you could rent out a whole theater for you and 20 friends for uh, $200 or less, depending on the movie. We've been talking about actually just doing that. Yeah. Most of them have raised their prices to 200 unless it's a movie we don't want to see, but might still be worth it. Some have begun to offer streaming services of their own. Drive-in movie theaters have seen a bit of a resurgence. Um, but then we also have the issue of like movies in the park are common ways for city or, or county parks and rec services to make money. So you have a lot of options now, which is why, you know, I don't want the magic of going to movies to go away. You can't experience it with streaming. You just can't. So um, be cool. Like I know the movie industry is a monster. I'm not saying it's not. But don't take the magic, guys. No. Don't take the magic. Take out the Harvey Weinsteins. Don't take away the theaters. Yeah. Take away the bad parts, the Harvey Weinstein parts. Leave the theaters. Yeah. Also, John Krasinski does not get paid for the streamed episode, the streamed version. So yeah. if, if you are vaccinated and feel safe doing so, go th- see it in theaters. They are battling. He probably should. He probably will end up getting some of it. But he and Emily Blunt and all the rest of them not getting paid for the stream parts. Not, at least not because it wasn't built into their contract because they had no yeah. this is going to happen. So, yeah, be cool. See it in a theater if you can, because who doesn't love John Krasinski? Like, as far as as anything I know about him, no scandals, faithful to his wife, seems like a good dude. Anyway, that is the history of going to the movies. Wow. That was exciting. Much more porn than I thought there would be. You always expect a little porn. I mean, you have to expect some porn. Seriously, though, he's saying there's more porn than he expected there there to be. This guy has done several episodes about things like sex cults, and he didn't expect porn. Yeah, that's true. In an episode about movies? I mean, this is my personal failing. I should have expected it, but it was just a failure of imagination on my part. 
Are you ready for your questions? I'm ready for questions. All right. Will this be on the test? The earliest movies were manually cranked by hand. Yeah, that'll be on the test. That's cool. You could once spend a whole day at the movies for a flat cost. You know, yes. It's like, back in my day, we could spend all day at the movies for a nickel. It's like, your grandpa's not crazy. He's just remembering something. Propaganda was a mandatory part of film during different parts of history. I would say no, because propaganda is still a mandatory part of education. I actually do remember learning about that in, this in school. Oh. Um, and I know there there's a whole thing about subliminal messaging that I didn't even bother to get into. And then, will this be on the test? Everything eventually becomes porn. It will be on the test, but you will lose your job shortly after. <laughs> and that is the history of going to the movies. That was cool. Mm-hmm. I want to go see a movie now. Like, even if it's got smell vision and it makes me nauseous and there's hissing noises. Okay, that was two pages shorter than my usual. Oh, good lord. Okay, well, I'm going to go pretty fast. Okay. Pretty fast. So, you know the whole butterfly effect thing? Yes. And, you know, it's like basically like the theory that like, you know, small ripples, like small things can have ripples that cause big events later on. Like yeah, it's, a um, butterfly well, flapping its wings in China can cause hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico. Although the phrase the butterfly effect comes from um, a one of the few short stories I actually like, which is called The Sound of Thunder. The Sound of Thunder. Yeah. Or a sound of thunder. I don't know. Uh, I think it is just sound of thunder. Yeah. I actually used to teach that to sixth graders, believe it or not. So now, well, we can never confirm if like a butterfly flapping its wings could ever cause anything somewhere else. It's impossible to pro- cause. But we can prove that a colossal explosion did cause Josh Gad to be Olaf in Frozen. That sounds about right. I, I would have believed you if you said a colossal explosion caused Josh Gad. Trust me. This tracks, and I'll get into how. Because this colossal explosion was actually the largest volcanic eruption in recorded history, the Mount Tambura eruption in Indonesia. Okay. It, now, uh, in 1812, passing ships noticed increased volcanic activity in a Mount Tambura in Indonesia. And for the next few years, like smoke, small eruptions, earthquakes, lava, like flows were reported by passing ships. Because, like, you know, uh, trade ships recorded everything. Because what else are you going to do? Just keep a detailed log. It keeps you from going crazy because you're on this boat for months. So then on April 5th of 1815, the big eruption started. Sounds from it could be heard 370 miles away. And faint ash began to fall in East Java, also 780 miles away from this mountain. And these were the small eruptions. What year is this? uh, 1815. Then, on April 10th, the main eruption occurred. It was loud enough that colonial British troops in Sumatra, 1,600 miles away, mistook the eruption for cannon fire and mobilized to defend from attacks. This eruption was 100 times larger than the Mount St. Helens eruption I talked about in a previous episode. Okay. It ejected somewhere between 38 to 51 cubic miles of material into the air. That's a cube 51 miles on a side. Uh, Rocks weighing up to 20 pounds fell tens of miles away from this. Uh, Nearby islands were so covered in ash from this eruption that houses collapsed. Um, Ash even coated the seas in in a thick layer for, again, miles and miles around this volcano 
that ships were sailing through just a layer of ash on the water for a long time after this eruption. Uh, the immediate eruption killed around 50,000 people, and the tsunamis caused by it killed about another 1,500. Uh, this was just cataclysmic across Oceania, just like the South Pacific, all of that. Huge catastrophe. But in Europe and England, this was just an intriguing bit of news that kind of eventually worked its way back to them. This was like, oh, something has happened on the other side of the world. I'm glad we're here. It didn't have a big impact on them because like they were worried about the Napoleonic Wars. Like they've got their own stuff going on. It's like, oh, big explosion. Cool. But it was going to have a big impact. They just didn't know it yet. The first bit is going to it was make is going to make Josh Gad. It's we're getting to Josh Gad. Josh Gad is the apex of the pyramid I'm building. Okay. So, he's the apex of most pyramids. He is. Gosh, he's a treasure. Mm -hmm. So the first kind of bit to have an impact was volcanic dust getting into the upper atmosphere and starting to settle down. Uh, the dust particles would get basically statically charged and just kind of launch in the air and stay there longer than you think they would. And as they started to settle, um, it settled all over the world and it kind of hindered cloud formation and had an effect on rainfall. Uh, so what? But water is still evaporating. It's just not raining where it should be or when it should as much so it caused periods of drought in some places and just unusual amounts of drought and unusual amounts of rainfall in others and one place that experienced a bit of extra rainfall was in june of 1815 in a place called waterloo and the one that abba told us about yes the one that abba told us about and you might know some of you might know like history nerds about how Napoleon kind of like, you know, lost everything at Waterloo. And yeah, it kind of ended his conquest of England because he lost this, his conquest of Europe because he lost this battle. Well, this battle was super close. Like even the Duke of Wellington, who was the guy in charge of a lot of it, himself said this was as close a one thing and it's just the narrowest margins. Like, this battle could have gone either way very easily. This was just, we eked out a win against Napoleon. And a big part of that was because Napoleon was more hindered by the wet ground because a big part of his strength was his heavier artillery, which was being drugged by horses and wagons, which the wet ground and mud made it harder for him to move for his artillery. And it kind of you know, hindered him a bit, which could have been the extra edge he needed to win, but he couldn't move his guns around. Uh, Victor Hugo wrote an account because, of course, he did. Now, it's he wrote the account like he was there. So some people say that Victor Hugo was there, but he wasn't there. Kind of like how Victor Hugo wasn't actually there during the uh, non-French revolution that people think. I talked yeah. about this way long ago. He he was kind of actually like hiding from it and kind of watching as opposed like, to being part of it. He was like he was at a bar when it started. He's like, uh-oh. I think he was at... My, my memory is that he was like at the library or he was writing somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Go back to that episode, actually, guys. Tell this, us. Hilariously, this account was in Les Miserables and it was about how the rain beforehand cost Napoleon this battle. Now, again, these are pretty tenuous accounts because there's thousands of factors in every battle. It's impossible to know if the storm was actually caused by this or if it was just part of a larger weather pattern. It's like, it's hard to know this. And there's people in historical circles who hotly debate whether or not this rain was a factor in the battle or not. And even like even more debate whether this volcanic eruption could even cause it or it was even a factor. I mean, I would imagine if there's a battle, rain is always going to affect it in some way. Yeah. But, you know, take all of that with a grain of salt. But it is, can, there are lots of people who do consider that this volcanic eruption and the ash in the atmosphere might probably caused the extra rain in Waterloo that caused this battle. But this wasn't the only big climate fluctuation caused by the volcano. Volcanic eruptions, in addition to like rocks and particles of ash, also release lots of sulfur dioxide, which is uh, 
SO2, which absorbs UV radiation. And it releases the demons. Yeah. Which has a very drastically cooling effect because there's all of the solar radiation that would be getting to the Earth, which is instead getting absorbed in the upper atmosphere by this gas. So it's kind of like making the sun dimmer and things get pretty drastically colder, about three degrees colder. So what you're saying is that to stop global warming, we need to make volcanoes happen. We need to cause a colossal volcanic eruption. Okay, I'll get working on it. Yeah. And again, this was about a three degree change, which is massive. It's massive. Like we are worried about that degree of change in temperature and we're already seeing the huge effects this was a very sudden three degree dip in temperature and it was like literally end of days catastrophic like the the sun got dimmed like there were these very just red brilliant sunsets it got so dim in fact you could see sunspots on the sun with your naked eye that's very dim you could actually observe sunspots See, I, I don't want to do that, and that's why my eyes are never nudes. Yeah. You, that's why you're always wearing sunglasses? That's why you're always wearing little jean shorts on your eyes? Yes. And again, it also got cold. And it gave it the... They got a couple of fun nicknames for it, like uh, 1800 and froze to death was this winter of 1816. Or sorry, the summer of 1816 that never happened. The summer that never happened. Yeah, it's the year without a summer. And these are in no way exaggerations. In New England, in Europe, in parts of China, there was snow in June and July and hard Wait, frost. In New England or in England? Both. Okay. In New England, Europe, and parts of China, it was snow in June and July and hard frosts every month. So uh, crops just failed all over the world. And farmers would just keep planting and saying, oh, wow, we had a late frost. Well, we've got to replant now while we can, not knowing that a volcanic eruption could even cause this. Most of them probably not even knowing there was a volcanic eruption. Yeah, I'd say even probably scientists at the time were like struggling to figure out the full connection. Oh, yeah, this here. was the this is the eruption that we point back to. It's like, oh, yeah, this is how we learned that these gases can have this effect. Are you telling me, Austin, that science can change as we garner new knowledge? Yeah, it's almost like that's one of the foundations of science. <sighs> So, but that, but the CDC is still a bunch of liars, right? Oh, absolutely. Total liars. 100%. <laughs> so, uh, grass didn't even grow well enough for them to be able to cut hay. So that meant that horses couldn't be fed. Um, some were slaughtered for their meat because again, massive starvation. And also because like, you no, know, there's no hay for horses. The cost of oats, which did grow well in cold weather, also skyrocketed. So just like, it was just bad news all around. But one result, this is, this is not related to Josh Gad. I'm just going to talk about it anyway. But the shortage of hay is related to Gad, Josh Gad? It's not. But the cost of, because the cost of oats got so high, uh, was that keeping horses uh, became very expensive. So we got a early, like, predecessor of the bicycle was invented because horses got expensive. Uh, in Germany, uh, and partly due to this and partly due to some residual effects in the Napoleonic Wars, because, you know, lots of horses died in war. Never tell you about that, but lots of horses die. Yeah. Yeah, they like they never tell you about the wall of dead animals they used in that uh, Viking battle you talked about. Oh yeah, the uh, there's an inventor, Carl Reis, who invented a horseless transportation called the Laufs machine, which was derogatively called the Dandy Horse because it was just a two-wheeled vehicle propelled by walking. You'd straddle it and you'd walk along and be able to coast down hills with it. It's like so, seen... like what we have for kids today. Yeah, like and... yeah, like what we have for kids today, but for grown-ass men, it also didn't have brakes, so crashes and collisions and just running into shit was common. But you're telling me like overall this volcano is the reason that I can get the house to myself from time to time because you go on bike rides? Exactly. Thank God. Yep. I mean, so thank... I don't like that 50,000 people died and whatnot and whatever. Oh no, 65,000 but... 65, people just from the initial eruption. Yeah. Untold more starved. But um, I appreciate their sacrifice so that I can get the house to myself once in yeah. a while. But 
hilariously, people hate it, but he also like marketed it as a way to replace horses in future wars. So I would just like you all to picture for a minute, like platoons of soldiers on these little like walking bicycles, like riding into war. See, I'm picturing them on segways. Same thing. Or perhaps razor scooters. Remember those? Yeah, this is more akin to the razor scooter. But yeah, and it wasn't just like horse transportation that was hindered by this cold. It was so cold that lakes froze and and rivers froze even in the summer. So like, you know, river commerce virtually stopped in a lot of places. And in New England, people just got absolutely fed up by this cold weather and quit. They, They just quit living? Yeah, there was a no, they just left. There was a massive exodus of New England. About five to 10% of Vermont left. Uh, and large, largely they went further south and they went on to the new territory in Indiana and Ohio, Oof. which further strained uh, the relationships with the Native Americans and also sped up the divisions in America that would lead to the Civil War. So because of a volcano, we had the Civil War. I mean, it was it's just sped up. Or also, was... you know, because of slavery, we had the Civil War. Yeah. This kind of this this made things tenser. Slavery was going to happen with or without this volcano because yeah. you know humans. And interestingly, uh, one such such migrant was a man named Joseph Smith. The who, okay who moved from Vermont to New York, and it was in New York that he air quotes found the golden tablets that he that had the the written by angels that he based the Mormon faith upon. But nobody gets to see these tablets. But nobody gets to see these tablets, but he totally found them in New York. So that's, yeah, that was founded. Also, next time you're subjected to driving across Indiana, remember, it was founded by the people who couldn't take a New England winter and just moved out. Indiana is a state of whiny quitters, and I will not be convinced otherwise. Indiana grows every time I drive across it. It takes an extra hour, I swear to God. So that was, that was what was happening in America. But meanwhile, in Europe, it was also cold. And because it was cold and just the weather was bad, a bunch of writers and rich people who went on vacation were stuck inside in some dreary weather on vacation. So they decided to have a scary story writing contest. I see what's happening. You see what's happening? Yeah. So uh, Lord Byron was one of them. He wrote a poem about how the world was ending because people, again, seriously thought the world was ending. The sun was dim and it was cold. It's like, holy shit, the world's I ending. I mean, we would probably think that too oh, if we abso- didn't know what was going on. Absolutely. Like, I don't even like, blame them for thinking the world was ending. It's like, Austin and I, we, we're like fairly rational people, but if suddenly the sun was dim and we didn't know about a volcano or anything, like nobody said yeah. anything, we'd probably like, oh, world is ending. Yeah, this was the volcanic eruption that made us realize, oh, cool, this can affect climate. It's like, we didn't even know that before. So, and we probably wouldn't even know it now without this. I mean, we might. There have been other volcanoes. Okay, back to my story. But uh, Mary Shelley was also there. And during this retreat in this contest, she wrote Frankenstein and basically invented science fiction. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, she won this contest. Yes. Was okay. Was she married to Lord? By- I don't remember what other. No, she was uh, married to uh, Shelley. Percy Shelley. Percy Shelley. Yeah. Yep. Who thought he was going to be the better remembered author. Yes. He was incorrect. Very incorrect. But I, I've been thinking about talking about it, but if I remember right, he actually wasn't a huge dick about it. No. If I remember right, too, I think she was sleeping with Lord Byron. I, Someone oh, no. was sleeping with Lord no, Byron. This, oh, everyone was sleeping with Lord Byron. <laughs> so now let's get to my crazy conspiracy theory statement from the beginning of this. Oh, no. I see how you're getting there now. So the Josh Gadden Frozen thing. Well, again, it should be completely obvious by now with what I've told you. Oh, I, I, I know. I have built the snowman. So let's go back. So this volcano 
erupted, which caused the rain, which made Napoleon lose, which caused the economic conditions and social political conditions in Europe that would eventually lead to World War II, which World War II coming out of that, there's a period of American prosperity where Walt Disney was able to found his parks and build his little movie empire, which eventually was able to make the movie of Frozen. Now, meanwhile, that same volcano made it really cold in America which made Joseph Smith move from Vermont to New York, where he founded Mormonism, where eventually the musical The Book of Mormon would be written by the creators of South Park. And one of the stars of that is Josh Gad. So he became famous because of The Book of Mormon, which wouldn't have happened without this volcano. Then, then, who does he play in, in Frozen? Olaf, which, by the way, Olaf, I would argue, is the Frankenstein of our time because he was not living and he was brought to life as an abomination against man and God. So now this should be all clear as day. This volcano made Disney, which, and it made Mormonism, which made Josh Gad famous. So he played in a Disney movie, a Frankenstein character. Okay. Now, actually, as I say this, I do feel like a crazy person. I feel like I need to have an evidence board behind me as I say this. There's just like strings going everywhere. It's like my own Pepe Silva moment. So yeah, that is how, uh, of, how the largest volcanic eruption in history uh, made Josh Gad play Olaf in Frozen. You know that Book of Mormon wasn't his first major Broadway role, right? I didn't know that. <laughs> what was his first major? It's the first one I know it from. Um, 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee. Okay. But I feel like Book of Mormon no, is what like, got him mainstream success. I actually agree. Um, Spelling Bee is very... It's theater. Niche. That is a theater person's musical. Um, and because he was in Book of Mormon, it which would not have happened without Joseph Smith doing what he did. And, you know, a little bit of luck and a lot of talent. He ended up in Book of Mormon, which yeah. got him noticed. And then he was in Frozen. And he also had the first gay question mark character in a mainstream Disney movie not long after. Yeah. Whew. I'm tired. <laughs> That was a lot. So are you ready for questions? I, yeah. All right. Will the fact that India, Indiana is founded by wimps who can't take winter weather be on the test? I'm t I think Indiana was founded, was founded by aliens because it gets bigger. Okay. Will the fact that bicycles were invented because oats were expensive be on the test? I don't think any questions would be phrased like this. Will the fact that we have science fiction because a bunch of rich people were stuck inside on vacation be on a test? Actually, yes. And will the fact that the butterfly effect is real, but only if you replace the word butterfly with uh, largest volcanic eruption in history be on the test? I mean, I feel like you could probably replace the word butterfly with several things and have yeah. it work. Yeah. Like movie theaters, movie theater, um, movie theaters almost like went under briefly because of Pearl Harbor. Wow. Huh. Yeah. All sorts of crazy shit happened because of a volcano like 200 years ago. And I love it. So Josh Gad, you have the deaths of tens of thousands of people to thank for your role yeah. as Olaf. <laughs> so that, uh, that pyramid I was talking about that has Josh Gad at the apex the entire base is just corpses, mountains of corpses. I hope you're happy, Josh Gad. <laughs> but he like he loves warm hugs. <laughs> Leave the only Josh thing Gad alone. <laughs> it's the warm hug of the grave is what he's talking about. The volcanic <laughs> grave. I'm 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 like writing Frozen Three in my head right now, in which Olaf turns evil, and he is now invulnerable to heat, so he controls the he controls volcanoes. <laughs> Goes just going full circle now, 
and Elsa has to fight him and freeze the volcanoes because that's how volcanoes work. Yeah. And then Moana shows up because she's used to this shit. Ooh, are you saying we're going to get the uh, Disney Princess Extended Universe? That already is a thing. What? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because that's right. Rapunzel shows up in Frozen. Yes, but that's not the only thing. The only okay. thing. There's other stuff. Ooh. I'll, I'll tell you more about it later. But in the right. meantime, where people, where can people find us? Well, they can find us on Twitter at OnTheTestPod, on Instagram at OnTheTestPod, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash OnTheTestPod, and our website, OnTheTestPod.com. Twitter is the best way to reach us out of all of those because our email box is nothing but spam. And there is a good chance. And not the delicious kind. Dude, spam, spam sushi. Oh, so good. Um, and we're not kidding, guys. Uh, there's a restaurant called Hawaiian Bros. If you're in the Kansas City area or the Austin, Texas area, make sure you get the spam, spam sushi. Um, yeah, it's mostly spam. Is You are very likely to get lost in our emails. So tweet, Twitter is the easiest way to reach us. Yep. Because that, that one is actually the one thing that also reliably sends me notifications. Yeah. Why am I in charge of anything? <laughs> I don't understand that either. I shouldn't be allowed to go places, talk to people, be in charge of things, fact check you during your episodes to tell you that Spelling Bee came before Book of Mormon. You know, if you didn't do it, I'm sure someone would have. And they'd been real mean about it on Twitter. Yeah, um, I got Austin tickets to the Book of Mormon for his birthday a few years ago. I think it was the first musical we went to together. I think so, yeah. And I was like, Austin, I know you hate musicals, but this one Wait, is no, that's not true. The first one we went together was the Theater in the Park production of Cats. That doesn't count. Okay. Any production of Cats does not count. Nope. But yeah, Austin, I was like, Austin, I know you hate musicals. But this one will change your mind. And now look at this, what, five or so years later, doing a whole episode because you made a connection between the Book of Mormon musical and this volcano. I made a connection between Frozen and this volcano, which also kind of worked because it's about a real cold winter. In the summer, just like Frozen. Layers to this onion like an ogre. Maybe this really was all planned out with like Moana and Elsa actually working together. Woo. I'm writing it right now. Uh, Disney, Disney, please don't sue us. Disney, like, just at me, Disney. I'll totally, like, write this for you. Yeah. I won't even... I won't even ask you to pay me. Just give me, like, tickets to a park. Any park. <laughs> the handy tickets to the park down the street from us. Damn it! Uh, I should have been It's more free sp- to get in! It's like, damn it! I should have been better with my monkey paw wish. <laughs> All right, well, Austin is making homemade jalapeno popper pizza tonight, and I'm yeah. getting really hungry, so we need to get going. Uh, enjoy your week. Hopefully you'll have a better week this week than we had last week. And we will be back to our normal format. See you next Tuesday. Oh, 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 clearly Austin doesn't know what see you next Tuesday is. Oh, yeah. Sorry. It took, <laughs> it took a second. I, I never, ma- I didn't ever make that connection. Um, we will. We'll be back ne- next Tuesday. We'll be back next Tuesday. I mean, we're not going to see you anyway. Uh, yeah. Well, this, is a pod- you. this is a podcast. No one sees anything. Yeah, we're actually like completely in the dark here and blindfolded, just in case. Yep. And on that note, class class dismissed. dismissed.